0: And uh, this evening we're we're thinking of this uh, second uh, dimension uh, to the creation of man and woman being made in the image of God. Now Tom Brady, uh, the outstanding American footballer, uh, he recently uh, purchased a crypto coin. Now these coins were produced, they they were unique, it's a, a new concept within the crypto world that these are being produced as one-off and rather than having the the physical item in your hand uh, these items like night trainers and so on uh, are being produced uh, online and you retain that on your phone and its value grows as time passes and progresses and Tom Brady saw a coin with a, a picture on it like himself it was not designed to be his exact replica but, but rather a kind of random conglomeration of facets of facial features but he could see his likeness in it and he purchased this coin and will hold on to it and hopefully in his view and his accountant's view this will appreciate in worth and in value. It was kind of his image it was a likeness of the great American football player and it's this aspect of ourselves men and women that were coming this evening to think about God creating man and woman in verse 26 in the image and likeness of God it's just an incredible part of the Bible isn't it this first chapter in Genesis coming on the sixth day so rich so dense so relevant to our life and to our times and all the debates which are happening in the moral world of our society reminding us as this morning we were created by God and yet this evening elevated by God Reminding us that we have dominion over the earth and yet we're dependent on the earth as the text emphasizes God gives us the plants and the the trees for food. Reminding us that there is a, a unity within humanity and yet we're male and female. There is a diversity within human beings which God has implanted. And this evening we're coming to, to think of one dimension of humankind which God in his wisdom and power and goodness has made. And it's this, this incredible aspect of us being made in the image and likeness of God. Now, none of us are likely to be asked to go on the Jeremy Vine show to fill that slot which he has from time to time, answering the question, What makes us human? Perhaps once a month that that slot appears on his show and he has in some politician or some philosopher or some ethicist and they answer this question What makes us human? But if we were asked, this would be the answer to give. We are made in the image and likeness of God. It's this that gives us worth and value and sets us apart from the rest of creation. We're in the image of God. We want to think of the meaning of this image. We want to think of the marks of this image. And we want to think of the modes of this image. Let's think first of all of the meaning of the image and likeness of God. Now because this is a a massive subject as I'm sure uh, you probably appreciate and understand. It has been greatly debated throughout the Christian church right from the very beginning. So in the church fathers we have someone like Tertullian the great theologian on the the Trinity, uh, but not so good on anthropology. So he interprets image as referring to our body and likeness as referring to our soul. uh, And we would steer away from that kind of idea. Or again, who, who Heard his views, disagreed with them and and moved away from any physical connection in image and in likeness. And and Oregon interpreted image as the essential traits of a human being and likeness then were the acquired traits uh, which we can secure as we develop. The scholastics disagreed with Oregon and Tertullian in the Middle Ages, scholastics, and they interpreted image as reason and freedom. That we reflect God as rational creatures, thinking men and women, and we've freedom to choose, make decisions, and take action. And then likeness they interpreted as original righteousness. The reformers disagreed with the the previous theologians and and they argued that there was no difference between the phrases image and likeness. And both of these terms refer to our original righteousness which we had in our first man, Adam and Eve, which was lost in the fall. And as we come to the the biblical text uh, with those views in, in our minds, I think that we can defend the reformer's position that there is no substantial difference between image and likeness in Genesis 1 and verse 26. And we can argue that because both terms are used in verse 26, the image and likeness of God. But one term is used in verse 27, image. And it implies that image is a phrase which encapsulates the the two phrases, image and likeness. The one can be put for the both. We find this in chapter 5, in verse 1 and in verse 3. The one word, likeness, is used in verse 1, but the two words, image and likeness, in verse 3. And so it seems that that in both chapter 1 and chapter 5, We are to think of these words substantially as synonymous, that on occasions one word can convey both concepts of image and likeness that are being referred to. When we come to the New Testament and the key passages in relation to this, in Colossians chapter 3, image is used, in James 3, which we read together, likeness is used. And so, when we think of these terms, image and likeness, we're thinking primarily of terms which basically mean the same thing that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We are like Him, we reflect Him in substantial ways. But the one caveat that I, I would present to you is that when the, the two phrases are used together as they are in verse 26, a nuance is intended. Louis Burkhoff argues that the second phrase strengthens the first phrase. So we're in the image of God. The likeness of God. The second phrase is, is strengthening the first phrase. Perhaps after our outing to Delamont Country Park, uh, you will be asked for your appraisal and feedback, and you will say, it was wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. And the second phrase is strengthening the first phrase. But other theologians think the second phrase is weakening or modifying the first phrase. And and I would favor that view. We're in the image of God. But we're not God. We're in the likeness of God. There's an infinite gulf between ourselves and God. We're like him. Any artist here or in history on completing a a landscape painting, however gripping, however powerful it speaks to us, will concede that it's but a likeness. The hills, the trees, the rivers in reality, are, are far greater than what they can convey on the canvas. And, and so it seems that when the two phrases are being used, image and likeness, the second is, is modifying it. Don't get too high. Don't get too big for yourself It's saying it's the likeness of God. It's just far more to him than, than is ever reflected in a woman or in a man. But you're sitting there and going, <laughs> that's the least of my worries in relation to this phrase. I'm not too concerned about whether they mean the same thing or, or what they mean when they're together. That, that's not my issue. What my concern is, is how this phrase relates to the second commandment. There the two words are used, aren't they? You shall not make any image or any likeness. And yet here is God. Making. Mankind. In his image. In his likeness. Is this a, a contradiction? What, what's, what's happening here? And it's a really good point. That you're raising. And as you reflect on this clash. This seeming Clash. There's a wonderful dimension to what's going on here. God, in making us in his image and in his likeness, commands us not to make an image and a likeness of God because characterized by the fall our works are imperfect The second command is, you shall not make the image or the likeness. But that does not rule out God making us in his image and in his likeness. We would fail in the task. Our works are characterized by defect and short-sightedness and ego. But the perfect creator can with care and precision... Make creatures in his image and in his likeness. And also in that command, he's guarding our position. He's preserving our function within the world. He doesn't want any rival to our role. He doesn't want any other image and likeness being made by us Taking away from the exalted position that he's given to woman and man within this world. You shall not make an image or a likeness because I have seven billion images and likenesses already in this world. Ed Sheeran was at the, the courts last week, wasn't he? Over that dispute about song lyrics or, or song sounds. And someone claiming that Ed Sheeran had stolen his song sounds. Then the second commandment. God is preserving our function. Our place. Our role. Within this world. Not only does the second commandment protect God's glory. It protects our glory. As made in his image and his likeness. The meaning of the image of God. Secondly, the marks of the image of God. The marks of the image of God. And, and you will know that this is, this is a really, really massive area here. And, 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 and wonderfully so. You know, God has not been stringent, he's not been narrow, he's not been meager in his, his creating us in his image and in his likeness. And we really need to stretch our minds, we, we really need to analyze the ways and, and allow scripture to guide us in the, the areas in which God has made us in his image And in his likeness, because there are many. And and I've compressed them down to six main ones. There's a spiritual aspect to us being in the image of God, isn't there? God is spirit. And he has given us spirit. His spirit is invisible, invisible. His spirit is immortal. Our spirit is invisible. Our spirit is immortal. We are made in the image of God in that sense that we have spirit. And this allows us to communicate and commune with God. The spirit, eternal, infinite being. Animals only have body and cannot commune with God But we have body and spirit, which enables us to commune with God, who is spirit. We worship Him in spirit and in truth, made in the image of God. A second aspect. Is the moral aspect and, and this is well known to us, contained in our shorter catechism made in God's image in knowledge, righteousness and holiness, based on the two passages in the New Testament, Ephesians four, twenty four, Colossians three, verse ten, and those three terms known to us as original righteousness, come from those two verses knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. This moral aspect. We reflect the moral character of God in our life, in the way God has made us in His image. A true knowledge of God, even Adam had no darkness, no blindness, no pervertedness. They knew God, not fully, but truly. And righteousness covering The second table of the Ten Commandments. Holiness covering the first table of the Ten Commandments. This moral aspect of being made in God's image. In knowledge, righteousness and holiness. And thirdly, a physical aspect. And and this has been discussed within the Reformed literature. Is there any way in which our body is involved and included in being made in the image and likeness of God or is it just in our souls is it just in the moral and spiritual dimension and the dominant answer is yes there is ways there are ways in which our body is included in the image of God God reveals himself in his actions in his moral behavior as righteous and, and holy, but he also reveals himself in his works and in ourselves, in our bodies that we thought of this morning, in our hands, in our posture, in our skin, in the, in our facial muscles, the wisdom, the power, the genius of God is revealed. We God is seen in us in our physical. Constitution. Augustine, he goes as far as to say that our body is a fitting vessel for our spirits to dwell in. But Calvin pushes it beyond that and argues that our bodies are included in the image of God. And and he says here, there was no part of man in which some Scintillations of the divine image did not shine forth. Mental aspect or creativity. God is the great creator, and He has made us in His image to be people who create. Beavers, they make their dams, and what dams they are, but those dams are always the same. They, they don't advance them, they don't progress them, but mankind progresses in their creativity. Just look at your phone and look at your car. And in language, birds and fish and animals communicate in body language and in sounds, but not In language, not that nuance, not that small, not that particular way. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And he has created us in his image by giving us the capacity to also speak. Made in his likeness. Number five, a social aspect Let us make man and woman that triune council and discussion, that plurality within the Godhead is reflected in humanity. That we are social beings, a solitary human is incomplete. I'm not speaking about people who are not married or people who are widowed, but about a human person. We need others. We cannot reach our potential without others, their encouragement, their example, their warnings, their inspiration. Anthony Hukema writes Man and woman cannot attain to true humanity in isolation. They need the fellowship and the inspiration of others. We're social beings. And sixthly, an occupational aspect. Right on to this assertion in chapter 1 verse 26 is God giving man and woman the responsibility to rule over the earth. And there is the argument... Is that a consequence of us being made in the image of God? Or is that part of us being made in the image of God? God is king as we sung in our first psalm. And he has reflected that kingship in the domination which he has given unto us. The marks of the image of God. Broad, extensive. Wide. thirdly, the modes of the image of God. You're sitting there saying, yes, this spiritual aspect, this moral aspect, this physical aspect, this social aspect, this occupational aspect, it was true of Eve. It was true of Adam. I can see that. But what about us? What about us now? After the fall. After sin has entered. And so we're thinking of the modes of the image of God. In the west of Scotland, in the 18th century, a famous preacher, well known, some of you probably have his works in your house, Thomas Boston outstanding preacher. A really interesting thing in his life was that the people didn't really listen to him in church. They would have slept. They would have been haphazard in their attendance. And then he got a call to Edinburgh. And everybody sat up and said, is this really the type of preacher we have? It was the big place. Preachers wanted to go to heaven via Edinburgh. He got a call to Edinburgh. And he stayed in Ettrick in the west of Scotland. And 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 the the, the reception of his messages was transformed. And part of his new messages was was a series of sermons put into book form, which was found in every house in Scotland after its publication. Boston's fourfold state. And he looked at humanity and looked at that state of innocence in Eden, that state of sin that state of grace, that state of glory. The modes of the image of God. Before the fall, Adam and Eve made in the likeness an image of God. But think about it. That was just the start. Of their journey. Bavinck and, and Burkhoff. beautifully make this point. They had progress to make. Bavinck speaks about them as being on the boundary of the image of God. And, and he makes this point because they were able to sin. They hadn't yet progressed into the, the fuller image of God where they were not able to sin. And so he argues they were on the boundary of the image of God. Burkhoff describes them as being in a state of infancy. And there was room for them to grow and develop and advance, not only in their moral capabilities, but in their minds and in their bodies and in their occupational role and in their social interaction. But what about the fall? Were people in the image of God after the fall? What about people in the pubs up the street here? Are they in the image of God? What about your workmates which curse and swear? Are they in the image of God? It's an important question and, and the Bible has an answer to that. In Genesis 9 verse 6 and the passage we read in James 3 verse 9. And both passages claim that after the fall, mankind remains in the image of God. There are remnants, there are shadows of that original State in which God created woman and man. In Genesis 9, the Bible argues for the death sentence because man and woman are made in God's image. There is value, there is worth in humanity. James argues that we should watch our tongues pull in our slander Restrict our mocking, be truthful in our speech and loving in our sentences because our brother and sister in the church is made in the likeness of God. Calvin uses the image of a ruined castle where we can go and we can imagine its former glory and construction. This is like man outside of Christ ruined, a shadow of what he once was. What's still of value and worth, and the remnants of the image of God. Do you remember Tom Daly on his charity uh, Ride, Swim, Cycle? He was, he was phoning into the, the BBC presenter with the backdrop of the, the war in Ukraine and, and all that was going on there. And he was saying that humanity, And 99% of the cases is good and kind and helpful. People clapping him on at the top of a hill on his bike. Cafe owners giving him hot chocolate in the freezing weather that he was running through. Remnants of God's image in humanity. And in conversion, the state of grace, Ephesians 4.24 asserts that we're, we put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As Christians, we're being renewed once more into that image and likeness which Eve and Adam were given. Colossians 3.10, the same thing we put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. And the state of glory will be a state in which we will be conformed to the image of God's Son. Romans 8. And verse 29. First John 3 verse 2 says that when Jesus shall appear, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our destiny is to be restored fully. And and think of the potential of this. One writer, Edwin Palmer, asks, will Beethoven be better in heaven? And his answer is, yes, it will be. And all poetry and all prose and all painting and all scientific discoveries and all technological advances will be far greater. Man and woman restored to the image and likeness of God in the world to come. The meaning of image is so crucial for us in our life. Why do we get outraged about what's going on in Ukraine? Why are the nations so angry about the bombing of that train station and the masses dead and this unjust war within that nation? What is the Christian foundational principle driving our opposition to this? Is that mankind is in the image and likeness of God. Why are we concerned for the unborn child? Is it not just a mass of cells that that the parents can decide to protect or to do away with? Why is there value there? Why is there worth? Why should that unborn life be protected? Because he or she is in the image and likeness of God. And why should granda who can't feed himself anymore and who's lost his marbles and who garbles and can't hold down a sensible conversation not be given an injection that allows him to pass away peacefully because he is in the image and likeness of God. The Marks underpinning Jesus' teaching on discipleship and the apostles' advocation of sanctification is this principle that we have been made to be like God, to reflect God, to mirror God. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he calls on us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. He calls on us in John 13 to love one another as I have loved you. John exhorts us to be holy as God is holy in all areas of our life. Philippians reasons that our minds should be like the mind of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and became the servant. Underpinning teaching on discipleship and sanctification is this concept that we are to reflect God in our life in our service, in our ways. This is our calling. This is our role within this world. Our standard is not what's popular in society. Our standard is not what the celebrities are doing. Our standard is the moral nature of God and that dignity and value and role that he has given to woman and to man made in the likeness and image of God and the modes of God's image how are we to manage and deal with these in our mind they could depress us they could cause us to sink but John Newton steers us through these difficult waters and he, he gives that, that really memorable Statement, doesn't he? He says, "No, I'm not what I ought to be. No, I'm not. He says, I'm not what I want to be. No, I'm not. He says, I'm not what I will be in the glory of heaven and the future land of bliss. But while he says, I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not yet what I will be, he says, I'm not what I was a servant of sin, a slave of Satan. Each of us, we need, to, we need to pass from that state of sin into the state of grace. Otherwise, we'll never pass into the state of glory by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the image of God, We move from death to life, from guilt to grace, and wait for the state of glory. But perhaps you mourn that you're not what you ought to be. Perhaps you lack assurance because you're not what you ought to be. Well, remember that by Christ's grace, you're not. What you were. So, as we leave tonight, as we walk down the aisle, shoulders back, heads up, you have been made in the likeness and the image of God. The perchance As you leave, your eye catches a brother or sister with whom you've clashed in the past. Mutter these words to yourself. She also, he also is in the image of God. Praise his name.